FreedomSlips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it, then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Warning, warning. We've got to stop us. They're going to kill us all. See how the trouble you've started? Be they the government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone, or human beings. Time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart, that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to win the day to the people who run it, to the people who own it. That unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You called down the thunder, well now you've got it. Chris, you tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution We did not engage in conflict that was out of line with our mission. Is it disloyal? Is it sedition? Is it treason to oppose the hands of tyranny? Never! I will never send troops anywhere on a mission of that kind without telling them that if somebody shoots at them, they can darn well shoot back. I know not what course others will take. But as for me, give me liberty! Oh, give me! A dark cloud is finally lifting across the world as U.S. military intelligence and their global partners are destroying the deep state criminal power structure that has ruled over our planet for hundreds of years. We are free with the God-given rights, and we shall not yield that right to any power on Earth. Hi, I'm Scott McKay. The world is at, and I am your host on The Tipping Point. On Revolution Radio, where every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we bring you the latest in this ensuing takedown of this global criminal empire. That's an image of strength. You'll get the raw, hard truth here on The Tipping Point. So come join us Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, in Studio B at Revolution.Radio. Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. Okay, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, welcome to Free Association. It's live from Newcastle Central Station. By the skin of my teeth, again, <laughs> because my laptop stopped, stopped doing what it's supposed to do. But fortunately, I brought, I brought the old laptop with me just in case because I, I couldn't get a signal at all from here yesterday. So I know something's going on. But it looks like it's going on with a laptop rather than the Wi-Fi. I thought it was Wi-Fi. So I shall have to investigate that when I get back at 5 o'clock. But it's 11 o'clock on the East Coast in the States. It's 4 o'clock here. Mid-afternoon, Saturday the 29th of July I think it's the end of July at least dates I'm not too good on times I can usually work out but dates I could be out by a couple of days either way 
So I think we're going to continue on from where we left off last week, which was Michael McDonald, I think. Let's have a look. Let's have a look at Michael McDonald narrate your day. That's where we left off last week, I think. Thanks to somebody in the chat room. I can't remember who posted it, but uh, I watched it and it's fun. So let's start there. And then, uh, then I'll do a bit of talk and, and we'll see where we go. I see skinning my teeth. Skinning my teeth. Well, here we go. This is Michael McDonald narrates you do. So I've got my essay written. So now I'm going to show you how I use Grammarly to edit. Okay, so here's my essay. And I'm going to click through Grammarly suggestions in the right panel. Michael McDonald randomly, that is actually what happened to 
um, in my life, I will be just blue hair in my hair. And I'll be like, you know what, honey? I'm gonna be there. Floss in my teeth. It was actually the inspiration for this video because, like, I always say 40 times a day, he slips into Michael McDonald. And I was like, you know what? It's almost like you're narrating my day as Michael McDonald. We could put that in a video. And we did. And I couldn't keep a straight face. I was just like, say things and contribute, but I couldn't keep a straight yeah. face. I'm sorry. Check, 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 check. I was a little louder than I thought it was. Hey! Check out our merch. Check out our book. All right, the sound wasn't great on that one, but uh, we'll we'll get through this. It's all a bit of a <clears throat> a dog's breakfast, as it often is. So I'm on the old laptop. I can't get the new laptop to to do what I wanted to do. So so I'm I'm shouting into the old laptop, and we'll 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 get by that way. Uh, so it's it's a talk to the chat room day again, I think. So if anybody would like to to suggest what we do, I was what I was going to do. I don't know whether this appeals to you or not. I was going to play a little bit of Spinal Tap because uh, I was in that kind of mood last week, which I think came from came from last week's show. I was in a kind of rockumentary rocky, parody mode. And for me, that <clears throat> that takes me to Spinal Tap. But that's basically what Michael McDonald narrates your day is about. It's a it's the same same principle. So let's let's do a little bit of Spinal Tap and then see where we go from there. Sixteen now before the hour, and if you're a member of my generation, you certainly remember where you were the night the Beatles made their first appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show. Well, another chapter in rock and roll history is about to be written right here on television. On this program this morning, the legendary English band Spinal Tap is back. The group suffered a series of mishaps during their last tour in 1984 with bad bookings. And will never die, and Spinal Tap's new album, Break Like the Wind, certainly proves that. This morning from Los Angeles is David St. Hubbins. With me here in the studio are Nigel Tufnell and Derek Smalls, and it's good to have you all back. You haven't been around, uh, is it right, since 1984? 84, yeah. 84, yeah. yeah. Does yeah. the world really want you to come back, do you think? We haven't well, asked them. <laughs> no, yeah, it's not a vote. We're not taking a vote. No, this is not a democracy. No, no. No, this is pure capitalism. It is. Yeah. 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 W where have you been? Uh, Personally? Within the eight years, yes. Oh. Well, before we did the show, you mean? Yes. We were in the green room this morning. Yeah. Well, yes, but yeah. I mean in the eight years since I was since in bed. We, yeah. since, were you? Well, in the eight yeah. years since the movie, oh, we, yeah. we well, haven't seen you. Since we we the, did some since gigs in Japan, and that sort of exploded, literally, in our faces. It's a disaster. Yeah. Mm. And then we made our way back to England and uh, did various things. So I've been inventing, doing some inventing. Eight years in Japan and England. I mean, no. they all say the money is here, you know. Why didn't yeah, No, you no, we went in eight, for eight years in Japan. We oh. went to England and I did some inventing. And Derek did I some I was playing. in a Christian rock band called Lamb's Blood for a while. Were you? And the no. money wasn't here. No. 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 But I was here. See, I was in Southern California. Yeah. That's why I moved to Southern California. I'm a Yank now. No, you're not. <laughs> no, I'm not. Don't. <laughs> it's true. Now, in, in the movie... This yes. is Spinal Tap. The, the hatchet job. The hatchet job. You think yeah. it was a hatchet job? Oh, yeah. Because we gone. saw an awful lot of difficulties between all of you. Yeah, it made us look stupid, didn't it? Yeah, the director had a, a definite agenda to grind. Yeah. Oh, he did? Oh, yeah. yeah. But imagine if, if you walk into this studio one day and you trip 
Well, they don't show that. Oh, that's Charlie Gibson. I got him there. Always trips. They don't do that. Yeah. They chose to use the stupid parts of the tour. That's all. Yeah. yeah. So you're working. You're not going to work with that director anymore. Oh no no no! no, no like after Berg, he can go back to the world of commercials. Yeah yeah. He's so like, you're you're really down on him. He's huh? working with trained little dogs and doing dog food commercials. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> well well done. So so all the difficulties that we saw in that movie were were a not real or b were real and have been worked out since then. A not real and two have been worked out. Oh, oh I'm sorry. They, they were atypical, certainly. They were atypical. <laughs> I mean, and too typical. But we're much more mature now. I mean, that's one oh, of the yeah. things coming back. You know, we've got we're older, but we have a, a, a new maturity. Is it that is it that you're really more mature, or is it just that you couldn't make it on your own in these eight years? Same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. If you can't make it on your own, then you're getting mature. That's where the maturity comes from. Is realizing. Yeah. Uh oh. Oh, I see. Uh oh, yeah. Now, yeah. David, there was a, there was in that movie. There's a girl in your life. Yeah, there's a woman in my life, yeah, Charlie. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and, and and that's she's still around, or is she gone? Oh yes, yes. We got married in 1986. Um, actually, we got married here in the states, thinking that it would make us both citizens. We just hadn't really read the green card booklet thoroughly enough, but it's worked out rather well. Because they're both Brits. Yeah. Yeah, both yeah. British, and we're gonna we're gonna die British. Apparently, we just might die in Southern California. And, and, and her name was Janine, right? Still is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, still, well, that's good. Now, is she, but there was trouble when she traveled with you. Is she still traveling with you? No. Um, no, 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 there's no way. No, okay. No, she's busy on her own. She's got a, a thriving business here. It's, uh, she sells Irish clothing at a store called Potato Republic. <laughs> <laughs> and, Eric, you play with a Christian band. You yeah, say. that is blood. Very loud for Christians, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 did they flock to you? Did the Christians flock? Yeah, actually, uh, we, we had a good uh, run in tents, and we played the Monsters of Jesus Festival a couple of years in a row. Uh, I see. And I heard, uh, uh, Nigel, that you'd been doing some inventing? Yeah, well, I said that. Yes. What, what, what That's did you, where we all heard it from me. Yes, and what, yeah. did you, what did you invent? Well, I've invented a folding wine glass. Good. For people, if you'd like to go on a picnic, which you probably have, and you said, what should I use? A glass. But it will break if I put it in my pocket, won't it? Good point. That would be stupid. Shards of... Good. Mm. This is... folds down on all four sides with little hinges. And the only bad part is... the wine leaks. Oh, well, straight through the hinge. But as soon as you get that worked out... That's the bug, you yeah. see. Yeah. But yeah. Leonardo... Till then, we'll just have to use paper cups, like everyone else, right? right? But yeah, yeah, well, don't wrap it in. <laughs> but as soon as you work that out, it'll be, it'll be okay. Yeah. Now, is the band any different, uh, now that you've come We're back older, to, come We're back together? Yes, yeah. but we, I, you told me that before, yeah. yes. We, we've got a new... sound we, different. No, we sound louder. Yes. Because you always have to sound louder. We've got a new keyboard player, because the old one went to visit the grave of the drummer and the grave exploded. And he was yeah. killed. And the Which scientific explanation was methane gas builder. Bubbling up. Gas, yeah. Yeah. Methane, yeah. Methane, yeah. yeah. And we've got a new drummer who's the younger twin brother of our ex-drummer. Who just Very existed. complicated. Yeah. You know? The younger twin brother. Yeah. Yeah. How much? 20 minutes. 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you get somewhat the same sound. Yeah, but harder. Yeah. 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 Now you're going to tour with this new album. Oh yes, in May. We go out all over the United States and then back to England. We end up at the Royal Albert Hall in July. And and David, is there is there another album and all, another movie in all of this? No, I hope not. I mean, the last one made us all a bit nervous. Yes. We were shown we were shown one cut of the film that really made us look rather good, and.
actual maturity, there's no reason to try and fake it with a film. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I, it's been wonderful that you're all back together. I think this is a blessed event. It's nice that you're back together too, Charlie. Well, we'll... we'll oh. <laughs> right. Well, turn it up, Charlie. David, Nigel, uh, Derek. Thank you. Nice to meet Good you to all. You. Absolutely. Bye, uh, gents. Goodbye. Okay, and good morning, America continues in just a moment. Spinal Tap says it now travels with a paramedic in the event that another drummer spontaneously combusts. All right, I don't know where that's going. It turned into something completely different there for a second, but uh, we'll get there. It's all very chaotic in here today. Uh, all right, let's see where we go from here. I'm go I don't know what I'm doing today. Really don't. Let's have a little bit of faulty time today. Let's let's just go for the comedy. Why not? Are your songs sounding lackluster, weak, unprofessional? Try Lambda, the industry standard in online mastering. It's the final touch your music needs to stand up against other great professional tracks. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry to bother you. Uh, would you mind moving to that table? Uh, could I ask you please to move to that table over there? I'm so sorry to tell you. Thank you so much. This is uh, Lord Melbury's table, you see. What? Uh, Lord Melbury, uh, when he stays with us, he always sits at this table. Why did they put us here? Uh, an oversight on my wife's part, I'm so sorry. He's only just arrived, you see. Would you mind, Polly? Uh, would you help these people move to Great, the table? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Come on, come on. <laughs> Thank you. Ah, <laughs> oh, Lord Melbury, do please uh, come this way, your lordship. I have your table over here by the window, as usual. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, we hadn't been told. We hadn't been told you were a doctor. Oh, how do you, doctor? Very nice to have you with us, doctor. Thank you. You're in room five, doctor. And Mrs. Abbott, how do you do? A uh, Dr. Abbott, actually. I'm sorry? Dr. Abbott. Two doctors. You're two doctors? Yes. Well, how did you become two doctors? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did you take the exam twice? No, my wife's a doctor. I'm a doctor. You're a doctor, too. So you're three doctors. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just one doctor. My wife is another doctor. And now... Uh, you're remain at the top of the stairs along to the left. Oh, I see. You see, I, I thought when you said two doctors, but uh... Manuel, would you take the doctor's cases up to number five, please? Yes, this way, please, doctors. Yes, bring him down. You've got a lot on your mind. We didn't want to worry him. What do you mean, um, a public health inspector coming after a 24-hour warning and a rat loose in the hotel? We must have escaped, Mr. Forty, and come back. Come back. They home. <laughs> oh, I see. He's a homing rat, is he? <laughs> oh, yeah. Rat. 
our amazing riches, Mr. Fulton. I read about one once. His owner had gone down to Penzance. Yes, I read about that. When the chef got fitted with his own carving knife, though, honest. <laughs> <laughs> Why, Mr. Forty? Follow you if you could. That would be lovely. Before they close us down? Super. Well, let's have a little bezel hunt, shall we? And then we'll deal with the sackings later on. I'll do the floor. <laughs> I'll do this floor. Then while you check your rules. Not in the bar, Polly. It was actually I've done all them. Good morning, Mrs. Fawlty. Oh, uh, nice to see you. Would you like coffee before we adjourn to... No, thank you. If we start upstairs with the water tank. Ah, good idea. What? Good thinking about starting upstairs. Would you, would you like to show Mr. Carney? I was just going to, Basil. Yes, and I'll, I'll keep an eye on things down here. Shall I see if I can find something to be getting on with? God, what was that? Bloody television exploding again. <laughs> that was a gun. Yes, he did sound lucky, didn't he? What is going on in here? I'll get him. He'll come back to the nuts, you know. He was sniffing around here just now. I can... Sorry, sorry. I couldn't have this at all. It was just this guy. I couldn't have the locking key straight away. I was eating it in the hotel. Starling, shooting Starling. In the bar. No, no, through the window. I'll lock it away. Is it licensed? Oh, yes, oh, yes. You do realise that under the Health and Safety Act, it is your responsibility. Oh, yes, I'm terribly sorry. It's never happened before, Mr. Carney. Well, I shall have to notify the police, of course. They will take steps. Get yeah, it. Yeah, Get it. It's all right. It's all right. Is, is he all right? Yes, he's all right. He's not dead. No, no, no. It was just the major letting the gun off. The major tried to kill Basil. Kill Basil? No, no, not Mr. Fawlty. I knew Basil, my little... Ratatouille. Basil. A little... Ratatouille. The chef calls the ratatouille basil because he puts quite a lot of basil in it. He <laughs> put basil in the ratatouille! <laughs> He's from Barcelona.
as I said, a little, a little bit too visual for radio that one, but we'll give it a go. We'll see where we see where we end up. Right, we're on comedy, aren't we? So let's do this. A little bit of uh, Young Frankenstein, which is another one of my favorite, one of my favorite movies. A little bit of Mel Brooks to keep us going. For what you are about to see next, we must enter. Alright, we're dealing with the vagaries of YouTube. Quietly. There we go. Into the realm of genius. It's the best movie I think I've made. I find it extremely amusing, that's all. I know people that have this movie memorized. That's Frankenstein. Yes! Yes! Hey, Vars, my boyfriend! It's just become part of the language. Frau Blucher. <laughs> These characters from the movie are in us. Set again? Every person working on it is just touched by greatness and is at the zenith of their talents. I was five years old and it was a hot summer night. And uh, I chose to sleep on the fire escape. There was no air conditioning in 1931. Not even for rich people. You know, and we were I was in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And I said to my mother, I'm not sleeping on the fire escape because Frankenstein will get me. Very wisely, she said, the monster lives in Transylvania. He would have to take a few buses, a train. He would have to take a boat. He would have to land in New York. He would have to take a taxi from where the boat landed. He would have to climb up the fire escape, which they can't do very easily. And then he would eat you up. So is it worth his time? Does it make any sense that the monster is going to eat you up? I said, I'm not sleeping on a fireplace. I just wouldn't give in because I knew that he would. Every kid knew that Boris Karloff was after him. was making Blazing Saddles, and the Waco Kid, played by that Jewish Western gunslinger, Gene Wilder, said, you know, I have an idea about the grandson of Victor Frankenstein, detesting the name, he's a purist, he's a scientist, and he just hates the mumbo-jumbo and the foolery and coolery of, of reanimating dead tissue. He says, what about we do a Frankenstein? I said, Gene... That's a good idea. Let's write it together, and let's insist that it be done like the James Whale movies in black and white. And if they say no black and white, then we don't do it. 
The original novel, Frankenstein, or The Modern Prometheus, was written by Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. It was published in 1818. It can be seen as questioning man's place in the universe, and the monster finds its way through a heartless world like an abandoned child. Brooks plays on this beautifully by actually turning the monster into Gene Wilder's child. He's beautiful. And he is it's about the creation of life. It's about having children and having a, a wild monster child who then you tame and, and becomes a good child. Stand on your feet. Mary Shelley may have written this unconsciously to say that scientists, that men had womb envy. Not penis envy. She said, no, it's the other way around. Men can't make life. Women can actually make life. There's some great ideas, powerful, immortal, monumental ideas floating around. And Gene and I went right back to Mary Shelley for many ideas and many lines. Our greatest dread has always been the knowledge of our own mortality. But tonight, we shall have hurled the gauntlet of science into the frightful face of death itself. Mel, if we hadn't become Mel Brooks, we'd be Dr. Mel Brooks. He read Lancet, you know, the British uh, medical journal. He knew everything. My brother Irving was a chemist, and I was always interested in chemistry and medicine and what makes us tick and why some of us have to stop ticking. I mean, you know, that bothered me a lot, too. It Outside of being so funny and so brilliantly talented, Mel Brooks is also the luckiest man on earth to have been surrounded by that cast. Son of a bitch, bastard, I'll get you for this! What did you do to me? What did you do to me? Gene Wilder, his role is so perfectly tailored to the weird, neurotic, tightly wound cat that Gene Wilder nails. You haven't even touched your food. There. <coughs> now I've touched it. I met him when Anne Bancroft was doing a Bertolt Brecht play called Mother Courage. Gene Wilder played the chaplain. And every night I would wait backstage for my girlfriend then. We weren't married yet. And Gene would come back and say, why are they laughing at me? And I said, because you're funny. He said, but I don't intend to be funny. I said, that's the best comedy in the world. He is so committed and so, um, he takes it so seriously. I thought I told you never to interrupt me while I'm working. You always get notes when you're working on movies that the main characters aren't likable enough. And there's nothing on paper likable about Gene Wilder. Why, you mother-grabbing bastard! You love him for no reason at all. You you love him. Knees an old man. <laughs> balls. The balls. First way you meet him, and then he says, give him an extra dollar. He's full on paper. He's a terrible man. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. He's totally the hero. And you love him. Oh, it's a filthy mess. I don't know. A little paint, a few flowers, a couple of throat pillows. Never seen a more gracious leading man letting other people have their moments. Gene Waters seemed just to be delighting in how great the cast was around him. I'd like to say something about his hair. What is that? Is that real? I guess it is. But 
he was great, and he was a leader in his own way, you know, telling everybody what to do, I guess because he wasn't supposed to. His suggestions were always, just be real and don't be afraid. Excuse me, darling. What is it exactly that you do do? From Blazing Saddles, we had Madeline Kahn, you know, so nobody could be better than Elizabeth, the snooty little Park Avenue debutante. I'll count the hours that you're away. Oh, darling, so alive. Not on the lips. I remember she came on the set one day in that train scene in this incredible fur coat. She went and got it herself. It's a monkey fur. Monkey fur? Who thinks of that? Goodbye, darling. Goodbye, Freddie. They improvised the elbows. And then finally, at the railway station, he blows her a kiss. He just kisses it, and she ducks. She ducks so she doesn't even get the wind of the kiss. I mean, that was, that was the brilliance of Madeline Kahn. I mean, she came up with that herself. <laughs> Nobody could be better than Igor, Igor, than Marty Feldman. You must be Igor. Now it's pronounced... Igor. But they told me it was Igor. Well, they were wrong then, weren't they? He was the most physically funny guy I'd ever seen. Damn your eyes! Too late. And he made a joke once about, you know, Peter Boyle takes two hours to, to get into the makeup, and I'm playing a freak, and it just takes some powder, so, you know. But there was a gentleness to him. Sweetest, nicest guy in the world. And he was very grateful to be on a set of a Hollywood movie and always inventing things. Marty was a one-man Monty Python. He was in a mischief and childish spirit. I mean, if something chaotic or something was off-kilter going on on a film set, I think he'd gravitate towards that. Perhaps I could help you with that hump. What hump? And you're where you're watching a classic comedian. His idol was Buster Keaton. And there were similarities in, in, in many, many ways. Mari didn't need words to get laughs. The scene where Dr. Frankenstein is playing the violin on the roof, and Marty Feldman is simply waiting. He's waiting. To he's play the horn, and he's reading the sheet. He's counting the rests on the sheet. so subtle. He's just waiting for... Minutes. He's obviously got an 18-count rest. Oh, what was that? Oh, that would be Inga. <laughs> Terry Gar was amazing because she was, you know, she was a total amateur. And here she became a pro, a professional actress in one movie and a brilliant comedian with a lot of warmth, a lot of love, a lot of heart. My father was in vaudeville and my mother became a wardrobe person after being a rockette and worked on all these films and things and she said oh I'm doing this thing with Mel Brooks I said really what is it I love Mel Brooks because I'd listened to all the 2000 year old man records and she said oh it's called Young Frankenstein and it's not totally cast yet I said it's not I'm getting my ass in there well dear are you ready yes doctor I read for the part of Elizabeth the fiance you know, it was a cattle call of 500 girls, one of whom was Farrah Fawcett. Mel said, we want Madeline Kahn to play this part of the fiancé. But if you can come back tomorrow with a German accent, I'll let you audition for the assistant, the lab assistant. So I said, yes, of course. I was working on the um, Sunny and Cher show, and Cher's wig maker was from Germany. 
So I just did an imitation of Renata. Hello. Renata was like this. Get over here and stop smoking and uh, sit down and I will do your hair. So I just did her. Would you like to have a roll in the hay? It's fun. When I read the script, I could see that this was a joke, you know, that be tits and ass, pardon the expression. So, um, yes, I did enhance my bra with socks. My mother helped me. Knockers. Thank you, doctor. She was just perfect. She cared so much. She was so innocent, so young, so naive. And, you know, and we threw lines at her like, that means if his organs were so large. He would have an enormous Schwanstücke. I mean, and she never broke up. I mean, she never laughed. She just played Schwanstücke earnestly. I wasn't sure what it was. And I said, Mel, what's a Schwanstücke? And he said, you know, Schwan. And I, then when he said it, I knew. Oof. As far as a movie with funny women, there's none like Young Frankenstein. I am Paul Bruchel. <laughs> and Cloris Leachman was a card. She was so, always so crazy. She's still an amazingly talented, vital woman. I've always tried to bring something terribly serious to comedy and very funny to serious things. I had never done a German accent before, and I didn't know I was nowhere near it. I hadn't a clue. And so the day I came to the set to work, I was looking for an accent, you know, under chairs, <laughs> behind cupboards. And uh, I was asking everybody. I think Mel Brooks' mother was there that day, maybe, and, and uh, she helped me, I believe. Follow me, please. And I said, stay close to the candles. The staircase can be treacherous. And Mel came up to me and he whispered in my ear. And he said, action. And I said, follow me, please. Stay close to the candles. The staircase can be treacherous. <laughs> We've lost a couple of people. <laughs> Good night. Those takes. When she's trying to keep getting Gene Wilder's, would you like this or that? Would the doctor care for a brandy before we carry? When we did our scene about, would, uh, would you care for a brandy, perhaps, before retiring? We weren't directed. We were put in our spots. We stood there. I said the line. He said, no. Thank you. And he was so testy and so biting that it made me react to him. And when I turned to go, Gene exactly mirrored what I did without any direction. He just exactly mirrored. I stopped. He stopped. I started back, he started back. Vomilk? No, thank you very much. Can I start out? He did exactly the same. I said, Ovaltin. He did exactly like a Rorschach test what I was doing. And it made the scene congeal. I'm not afraid. I know what he likes. (laughs) You couldn't find a better actor. For the monster, then Peter Boyle, he, he understood the poetry and the beauty of the monster. He understood that the notes were like butterflies. He loved the original picture. And he loved the, the simplicity and the naivete of the original monster when beauty struck it. Oh dear, nothing left. What shall we do now? 
Peter Boyle, it's so interesting because you watch it and you keep thinking, oh, this is Peter Boyle, and he spends a great part of the first uh, section of the film going, it seems like a very thankless role for a little bit. And then you realize, oh, this guy's so funny. Long friendship. Peter was wonderful, great actor, and he made that noise up. Mmm, which I still to this day do, because it really expresses a lot and helps me. Mmm. Mm. He was the greatest, Peter Boyle. And Peter and I were both Irish people, so Mel would say, bring on the trafe, that was us. I mean, Yiddish for garbage. <laughs> he does have the pathos, and he does display... The confusion which my father brought to the screen in his portrayal. Also, to do that with the comedic timing that Peter Boyle brought to that role is, is sheer genius. One of the things that endures from the original Mary Shelley uh, idea is that uh, the creature finds himself in a, a situation that was not of his choosing, not of his making, and he's trying to figure it out. Hello, handsome! Every good comedy needs an engine. And the engine behind Young Frankenstein is the father and son relationship of the monster and Dr. Frankenstein. That's the true love story. You are not evil. You are good. <laughs> Gene Wilder is playing like a Jewish mother, you know, and he holds the monster and kisses him. This is a nice boy. <laughs> this is a good boy. Oh, he was wonderful. That was, a love, that was a, one of the best love scenes I've ever seen, ever written, ever acted. This is a mother's angel. And I want the world to know once and for all and without any shame that we love him. <laughs> It's basically a story about love and about um, that if something is loved enough, it has, you know, a chance in this world. There's never was never another set that was as fun and as loose and as jokey and clever as that working on a Mel Brooks movie. <laughs> Mel Brooks always wanted there to be laughter on the set. <laughs> there was also some freedom going on, you know, experimentation, and he was very, very secure. And it's like watching one of the greats. There's a great director on the set, like an Alfred Hitchcock or one of those guys. I mean, the booming voice and cut, you know, which echoes, you know. And then I walked over another set and, and saw the difference. It was, you know, the towering inferno where, you know, there was no laughing on that. I mean, people were in flames, and there was Erwin Allen after every, every take it would be cut. Is anyone hurt? So this is where it all happened. It was so weird. It was like going back in time. Suddenly I was five years old again. I was walking around this laboratory, and all, all of the dials and all of the gadgets and all of the machines were there because we took them out of Kenneth Strickfadden's 
garage in Santa Monica somewhere and trucked them over with Kenneth and to supervise them. And we added a couple of other machines, you know, powerful dynamos to, to give it a little more size. Throw the third switch! Not the third switch! They were amazing sets. They were like real. I said, we'd go, where are we? Are we in a castle in Germany? And people still come up to me and say, what was it like to be on that bed that goes up? <laughs> oh, God, it was cute. It was funny. If sex can be cute and funny, it was. I suggest you put on a tie. <laughs> when Mel Brooks yelled cut, people didn't leave the set. They kept talking to each other and hanging out. Peter Boyle was showing up on his days off to watch what was going on. And that, that was amazing to me. You know, people go, you're working today? Nope. And they go, oh, okay. And they knew why. Because he wanted to watch what was going on. He was into that. Everyone was rooting for each other and everybody was having a good time. There was an Italian restaurant, right, you know, right on Pico Boulevard, right outside of Fox, that we, we would go to and people would be shocked to see the monster in makeup. And, They'd, suddenly we'd have a clear area around us, you know, all the tables would leave. It was almost like fate brought these people together, not just as performers, the best people for the part, but as human beings. Thank you, Fly. Thank you. Gene Hackman says it was the greatest joy of my life doing that movie. Well, he played tennis with, with the other Gene, with Gene Wilder. According to Gene Wilder, he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm doing Young Frankenstein with Mel. And he said, is there anything in it for me? I'd love to do a comic turn. And Gene said, there is, as a matter of fact. There's a blind hermit in the forest. He said, oh, yes, I remember from the original movie. He said, I could play that. And Gene said, well, you have to be funny. He said, oh, I could be funny. So he came. He thought, well, it's a comedy. I'll come there for two hours. I'll put on the hermit's, you know, burlap cloak and put a beard on. And I'll do the scene and I'll leave. I had him there for 10 days, you know, because when I direct, I really, you know, I take it seriously and I want it to be right. Wait! Where are you going? I was going to make espresso. I opened the door one time into the set. I was, I was called to work, and, <laughs> and they were doing the fireplace scene, and Dean said, Put the candle back. Put the candle back. Back. <laughs> I just started laughing out loud helplessly, fell to my knees laughing, and they had to do it all over again because I, I ruined it. It was a gorgeous, gracious, wonderful period of time making that movie. I think the reason that this particular project survives so well over the years is that Mel's movie really is a loving homage to the original movie. Gerald Hirschfeld, a genius. Jerry Hirschfeld was one of the few guys who knew how to shoot it in black and white because Jerry said, what studios do today is they lie to you. They take color film and they diffuse it and then it looks like black and white. But there's always a little glow of blue or something. And then later, when you're not looking, they colorize it and they send it out to South America. So he said, we're not going to do that. We're going to go to Agva, which makes only black and white film. And we're going to do what James Whale did in 1931. We're going to make a really a black and white film. And I'm going to light it beautifully. And he did. 
As the camera moved in for a shot of the Marty Feldman and Glass Jar, the faces, the camera wobbled a little bit, and he said, cut. I said, no, Jerry, I say cut. You're the cinematographer. I'm the only one who ever says cut. He says, but there was a wobble. I said, Jerry, I want that wobble. I want trundling. Like James Whale, I want you to trundle in, a little shaky. I don't want you to zoom. There'll be no zooms. I don't want anything smooth. I don't want anything that says 1974 or 5. I want something that says 1931. Suit yourself. I'm easy. The scenes and the pacing is not like it is nowadays where it's just crashing at you. He, Mel Brooks and his team really trusted themselves to not be hammering away. What a filthy job. Could be worse. How? Could be raining. Mel is a drummer, and rhythm is very important to him, and, and he, he hears the rhythm of the dialogue and the rhythm of the jokes, almost like a drummer. And he, he writes comedy like a drummer would uh, land a beat. A great thing about Young Frankenstein that, that very few movies do is they toss around the role of straight man. Yes. Madeline Kahn you know, has the hair, the hair, where she's the wacky one. No tongues. And then you put her next to Marty Feldman, where suddenly she's the one who has to play it straight while he's going berserk. Say nothing, act casual. Ready? Yes, I think. <laughs> Nobody's always the funny one in every scene. They, they switch it off constantly. It's kind of a round robin. Yeah. It's going to be a long night. If you need any help with the girls, please don't. <laughs> Good job. The last day of shooting, we all felt like crying. And after they're, they're striking the lights and the cables and everything, she says, well, could we shoot another scene? I said, Gene, is nothing. I mean, we've done the story. We haven't written another scene. He said, well, let's write another scene and shoot it. I don't want to go home. I want to stay here. I just want to stay here in Castle Frankenstein. That's how much he loved it. I went to the sneak preview in Frankenstein and Westwood, which was amazing. You know, I was on the set and I saw it in color. And this movie aged into a black and white 1930s movie that sounded and looked like a classic from a bygone age. And the audience was reacting to it as though it was already a classic here, applauding when people came on screen. <laughs> time I saw young Frankenstein but I can remember vividly putting my head down on the back of the seat in front of me and laughing so hard the tears were running down my cheeks it to this very day is my favorite film <laughs> my father had a wonderful sense of humor so I think he would have um, adored it I really do it's done the most business worldwide of all the movies I, I've ever made it made me very rich and famous. I got $7,000 for working seven weeks, which wasn't a lot after taxes, you know. But I've made up for it during the time in between. Got other jobs from that job. Thank goodness. Elevate me. No, right here. 
Young Frankenstein affected an entire generation or two or three of writers and performers. Gene Wilder, I remember, I think it was the very first time I ever realized when I saw that he wrote the film, too, it made me think, you can do that? Also, there's something so multi-generational about Young Frankenstein. I'm 37. My mother still, if I'm supposed to follow her somewhere, says, Walk this way. The other night I was walking down the street and there was the most beautiful girl. I was not going to pick her up or anything. She was walking with another girl and she turned just as, just as I was passing her. She turned and said, What hump? I said, Wow. <laughs> you know, how did... Well, they know these things, you know. Call it Ouch. My children know it by heart. My children are downstairs saying all the lines. Children learn the lines. When something becomes precious, the replaying of it has more joy and comic effect than, than the surprise of a new joke. I mean, it's, it's, a very, it's, it's like the big jokes are old pals, and you want, you want to see them again. Sometimes I... I lecture at a university, and kids look it up and do dialogue from Young Frankenstein, you know? And they say, well, it sticks. It sticks in our heads. We, you know, we often do the whole movie in our dormitories. We just, we just do it, you know? He is a brilliant talent, let's face it. I mean, he knows what's funny, what isn't funny, and he doesn't give up. He just keeps going and going. Look at him now. He's 900 years old. He's still doing things. About three years ago, Tom Meehan said that his most favorite movie was not the producers, the one that we had just finished and done on Broadway and won 12 Tony Awards, the most ever, and, and uh, never stopped entertaining people. He said his favorite was Young Frankenstein. And he said, why don't we take a crack at it for a Broadway musical? I said, well, it's a perfectly good film. Let's not tarnish its, you know, its everlasting beauty. He said, no, 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 we'll, we'll make a lot of money. I said, okay, let's do it. We were out to dinner, and, and he started talking about Young Frankenstein. And I thought, okay. And the first song that he started to sing was, He Was My Boyfriend. And I thought, okay, here we go. He started to write the music. Susan Stroman staged it to perfection. And today, I won two awards. The outer critic circle that all the critics in and around New York presented to Mel Brooks for music and lyrics for, for Young Frankenstein. Not to mention outer critic circle were presented to Mel Brooks for outstanding new Broadway musical Young Frankenstein. Even when the overture plays and there's not a single thing said but just the title comes up, people start applauding and you know... You know, they're, they're there because they, they just want to have the experience. Hit it! I defy you to find somebody who doesn't like him. Frankenstein. This film, like the Frankenstein legend. Okay, that was, uh, that was free association for this, this morning and afternoon. Um, I've had fun. Uh, it was a bit improvised, as it always is, but uh, I hope you, I hope you got, got something out of it, and I'll be back next week. You can find me in all the usual places online. Just look for Free Association Roundtable Radio Show and Podcast, and you'll probably find me. Uh, thanks for being here, and I'll see you next week.
to Revolution Radio. Hey everyone, it's Barbara Jean Lindsay, the Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers from the cosmos about your love life or career, or just want to keep your finger on the pulse of the planet, check out my show, The Cosmic Oracle, here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Hi, I'm Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney, and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio A. My forte? Foreclosure and contract law. Grab your legal pad and pen. Learn a broad spectrum of law spanning administrative, criminal, family, tort, and federal law. Fools and losers cling to old cases. I dissect and comment on the latest rulings that control the courts. Don't be a loser. And if you don't appear, you will be held in contempt. Are you interested in the paranormal? Murder mystery? Real natural law? Do you enjoy interviews with amazing guests? Then join Crypt Rick every Monday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Revolution Radio. Studio A, freedomslips.com. Crypt Rick's hyphen thinking. Welcome to the Crypt. <laughs> what the heck is the truth, Jihad? Hey, I'm Kevin Barrett, host of Truth.